0: Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope that you enjoy this message today. I've come to the conclusion that um, this story, of course it's more than a story. To me it's the greatest, one of the greatest of the miracles of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000. And it's also an incredible Parable, a real life parable that's become a parable for this church. It's a picture of what the gospel ministry is all about. It's a picture of why we exist in New Orleans, Louisiana. It's a picture of God's plan for us as a congregation, for us to be a table spread in the wilderness, in the midst of a wilderness of hungry people. And uh, so I, I pray that over these next, over today and over this next, these next few weeks, as we get ready for another Feed the Multitudes, that the Lord would do something supernatural in you individually. You know, he answers prayers sometimes in ways that we don't, would never think were possible. We, we pray a prayer and um, we just, he come, it, yeah, he answers it, but it comes from a whole different perspective. It comes out of, instead of over there, it comes from over there somewhere. And you'll understand a little bit more as we get into this. But I want to read Mark's account of this story. And then make, it says, that the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. They'd just come back from a crusade. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. They were exhausted from ministry, for they were, they were, there, were, there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They were so busy in the ministry that there was, there was so much going on that they couldn't even stop and have a meal. Now, I've never seen Christians not have time to stop and have a meal. <laughs> so this must have been pretty radical. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities and they arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go, go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? That was like almost a year's wage of money is, how much it would cost, they figured, to feed these people. And he said he gave and and give them something to eat. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. And he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in ranks and hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them and the two and the, the two fish he divided among them all so they all ate and they were all filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5000 now there's another scripture that we need to skip down to verse number 52 um, when he begins to refer back to this miracle, days had gone by, things had happened. And look what he says in verse 52, for they had, they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. So, so this, these, obviously there was more to this story than just one meal for one day. This story was a, was a living parable. It was a, a living portrayal of Christ, the bread of life. And what had happened is the disciples were right there in the midst of it. They were there living with the bread of life, traveling with the bread of life, eating from his hand, watching the signs and wonders and miracles, seeing the water turned into wine, seeing him walking on the water, seeing him stilling the storm, seeing him feeding the multitudes twice the 5,000 and the 4,000, and still it says their hearts were hardened and they couldn't understand. Their hearts were hardened and they couldn't understand. They were stuck in their own reasoning, stuck in their own natural thinking, and they could not hear or see or feel or sense the power and the plan of God. What was God saying? They were clueless. They were caught up in the natural realm, these disciples, at this point. Now, this brings us back to 1990, when we were in one of the greatest moments, one of the greatest dilemmas in our church history. We did not think we could continue functioning as a congregation. We had done all that we knew how to do. We'd built this building. We'd invested all of our resources, all of our finances. We had, we had, we had no ability to go any further. We had come to the ends, and there was nothing else we could do. Now, when you come to the ends, and there's nothing else you can do, it might be a time to look to God. But instead, you know, I was, as I was in this dilemma, I was, I was stuck I didn't know what was going to take place, I became fearful, I was afraid that it was over with, that something horribly had gone wrong, I was blaming everybody else but myself, and I was looking for solutions in the natural world, and Job's friends came to visit me in the midst of my dilemma. If you know what that means, Job's friends were full of ideas about what I should do and what I had done wrong to get myself in that situation. And so one of the, the great one that stood out more than anyone else, they were all ver- similar versions of this same council. Brother of Bailey, this is what you need to do. What you need to do now, since you've got yourself in this situation, what you need to do is you need to, to start a closed, small group, strictly for millionaires. You need to reach out. To the rich in this city, you need to find a way to gain the trust of the shakers and movers, you know, the quality people in the city of New Orleans. And then, and then, and then, then once you've gained their respect, then maybe they can help you get out of the dilemma that you're in. Now, you know, all that is, all that is, is another version of, I guess you could call it. Spiritual prostitution. (laughs) If you just want to use some real nice words, spiritual prostitution. You give me what I want, and I'll give you what you want. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching. It's politics, as usual. It's the way of the world. It's the way politicians operate. It's the way, sad to say, many ministries and preachers operate. You give me what I want, and I'll give you what you want. They stay connected. All, there's a parade of influential people around them. And the Lord stopped me in my tracks. Because, first of all, I didn't have, I didn't know any millionaires to invite to my Bible setting I probably would have tried it. But the Lord said, no, 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 no. Don't listen to these people. He, this is what he said. What I want you to do, I have a word from the Lord for you. What I want you to do is I want you to throw a free, free food festival. A free food festival, and I want you to invite the lowest of the low. I want you to invite the homeless. I want you to go to the projects and invite the people from the housing projects. I want you to go, if they'll let you, go to the prisons. Invite the prisoners to come. Invite the people from the rehabs. Invite the people in the old folks' homes. Invite the people that everyone else has forgotten about and has no no use for. Go invite the unlovely. Go and go into the highways and go into the byways and find the derelicts, the alcoholics, the prostitute, the destitute, the Distressed and the downcast and invite them. Amen. And you know what? I thought that is the craziest idea I've ever heard. But we really had no other ideas. So we just we decided to do it. And we and, and you know what what happens is a miracle began to take place in our church, in our congregation our congregation began to recognize, the people in our church began to recognize this, after, at the end of the day, this is what gospel ministry is all about, finding people who are worse off than you. All we are is wounded healers. All of us have our own can of worms. All of us have our own problems and our own issues. But in the midst of our problems, we look around. Instead of waiting till we get fixed or get sorted out or till we win the lottery, we we go and we go and find, in the midst of our dilemma, we find someone worse off than us. Find a, a wounded person and begin to pour out the oil and pour out the wine and wait and see what God will do. And that... That was the beginning of Feed the Multitudes. Now there was, we'll go and look, let's look at, we're going to glean a little bit. Let's look through this story a little bit more. Pick out a few scriptures that we want to talk about. Mark 6, 44 describes the, 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 the numbers of people that came to this gathering that day. Um, it says 5,000 men besides women and children. Charles Spurgeon seemed to think there was about 20,000. He figured there was a a man, a woman, and two kids for each husband and wife. So he put a number of 20,000. Who knows how many people that were there? But there was thousands and thousands of people that were there. You know, our God is an awesome God. He never runs out. He's been ministering to millions of people for hundreds of years. And there's room at the table for you. No matter, no matter how bad your problems are, no matter how deep in trouble you are. There's still room at the table for you. Our God, is His provision is endless. He is more than sufficient, and He's more than willing and more than able to meet you at the point of your need today. Get your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes off of your problems. Look toward heaven and begin to watch and see. Watch and see what God will do for you. Now, the Lord spoke to me yesterday afternoon, and He gave me a scripture out of... Matthew chapter 5 that talked about being hungry. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 actually. And this, the Lord spoke to me and he said, this is the sure guarantee that someone is going to receive a miracle, this verse, a guarantee, an absolute guarantee. So you can check your heart and if you can find this condition in your heart, I promise you you'll receive a miracle from God. Here's, here's the, here it is. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God, for the Holy Ghost, for they shall be filled. There's never been a time you can go from cover to cover in this book from Matthew, from Genesis to Revelation, specifically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John looking at the ministry of Jesus, and you'll never find one person who came to God hungry for God who he turned away. Not one. He didn't turn away Jairus. He didn't turn away the woman with the issue of blood. He didn't turn away blind Bartimaeus or Zacchaeus. They all came with impossible circumstances, impossible needs. But they came with one common denominator. I need God's intervention in my life. I'm hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. There is a table in the wilderness. There's a place with your name on it. Are you hungry enough to push up to the table, to sit down and feast at this table of the Lord. Because if you are hungry, my friend, if you're hungry for God today, if you're hungry for change, if you're hungry for a divine visitation in your life, you will not leave disappointed. He will meet you every time. He'll meet you every time. Matthew 14, Matthew's account of this story. When Jesus heard, heard about it, He was talking about the death of John. When he heard about it, he departed from there by a boat to a deserted place by himself. And when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. And he was, I love this phrase, he was moved with compassion. Everyone say he was moved with compassion. What moved him? What moved him? The, the Greek language says, it says to have the, your insides, your intestines to be moved. He was moved in the deepest part of his humanity. He was moved in the deepest part of his being. When he looked into the crowd and he saw the single mom drowning in her problems. He was moved on the inside when he saw the leper with hopelessness in his eyes. He was moved on the inside when he saw the paralyzed man incapacitated without hope and without God. He was moved on the inside. Today, he hasn't changed. He has not changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the great I am. He hasn't changed. He has you in mind. He has your needs in mind. He's looking into the crowds of humanity, and he's moved with compassion. He's touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He knows where you are, and he hasn't forgotten you. What is the condition What is the condition? What is the quality? What is the one thing he's looking for that will cause the power of God to go out from him and into you? It was the same thing in the woman with the issue of blood. Desperate faith. Desperate faith that doesn't care what other people think has set aside her, their, their ability and their their their, 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 their determination to depend on human help for their problems. Absolute desperate faith. This is I need God. I need Him now. I need His touch. Nothing else will do. I'm gonna get my miracle. I'm gonna stay here until I get my miracle. I'm gonna shout till I get my miracle. I'm gonna rip off the, house, the roof of the house. I'm gonna climb up through it tree, I'm going to push through the crowd I'm going to go 20 miles with, for my daughter, I'm going to receive a miracle from God are you hungry enough it's not just being open it's not just being open for the move of God, you've got to say I need God now in my life which brings us to the most painful part you know we always want to do everything we can to fix our problems, but there are problems we just cannot fix, impossible, and um, you know, in this, in this story, in this story, and you, you think of all the people that were in the crowd, you know, there was, there was hungry people, there was poor people, That's the, that was the common denominator. They did not have the ability to solve the problems that were facing them. You know, it's, it reminds me of, of, how many years ago was that? Eight years ago, Katrina, was it eight? Eight years ago, Katrina hit New Orleans. It was devastating. You know, we could call Katrina the great equalizer. What do I mean by that? Well, for, 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 well I remember one afternoon, I was outside, out here, as people were lined up down Airline Highway, coming into the property with their cars, and going around the back and getting their, their mops, their water, their canned goods, their M- MREs, or whatever you call those, and getting their stuff that they needed and leaving. And I stood there watching in the line. In the line, you had people that drove up in their Lexus and people that were in their bicycles. They had the homeless and the rich. But there was, it was a great equalizer because everybody needed water and there was none to be found. Everybody needed food and there was none to be found. They were all out in the same wilderness, all finally brought to, to realization. This is the realization of who we are as humans. This is an awareness, this is our mind being open and we recognize regardless of whether we have a house or don't have a house or have a car or a job or, or whatever, we're all in the same boat. We're all at the end of the day standing here in total need of God's intervention in our life. People cover all of that with all their stuff. But we're all standing in the same. The homeless guy on the bike and the rich guy in his Lexus, they both had the same need that day. And that was the common denominator in this crowd. Let me read from Charles Spurgeon. He preached about this back in 1865 in London. This is what he said. These guests had one thing in common, which I have no doubt will be found among us also. They were all hungry and they were all poor. They could not supply one single dish for the table. Not one of them had a loaf to contribute, nor a fish to give to the master of the feast. Maybe they had it sometime, or maybe back home or something, but right there that day, they were all equalized. They all had nothing. They all had the same need of God. They were all hungry. But no one could produce a crust, and the Lord neither asked them to contribute nor repelled them because of their poverty. Am I then tonight an empty sinner, having no such good in myself? Do I feel that I could not contribute even one perfect thought, much less one solitary perfect action to the stores of the Redeemer's merit? Nevertheless, he bids me come, and come I will." He's a great giver. I can only be a receiver. My utter lack of all goodness fits me to receive from Him since the emptier the vessel, the more it can receive. If I could help Him, there would be no need for Him to work a miracle on my account. But since I can bring nothing, I need his miracle power. As I see him feeding hungry souls, I will join in and I will partake of the fruit of his compassion. They were a penniless, foodless people and could not help themselves, but there was one who could help them all. And afford that with help and ease. And so tonight, whatever our heart's necessities may be, Jesus is here to enrich us and to do in a manner which will manifest the boundless nature of his love and of his grace. So He, here we are. Have you come to the realization yet? This is a great revelation from God. One of the greatest revelations you'll ever see. You could call it absolute total dependence to recognize your great need of God and your inability to fix your circumstances without his help. We stand in need of God. God strips away, some, sometimes he has to strip away all of our crutches and everything that we depend on so we can see what we really need at the end of the day. What we really need at the end of the day What we really need at the end of the day What is it that you really 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 need At the end of the day And sometimes he strips away Everything that we're looking at And depending on Until we come to that place and we say Oh now I get it Now I get it It's about you It's not about my house It's not about my electricity It's not about my car It's not about my vacations. It's not about time off. It's about you. It's not about all this thing I've cluttered my life up and worried about. It's about you and my need of you at the end of the day. I need you. I need you now. I need you every day of my life. You're the great giver. I am empty and you're full. I'm insufficient. You are sufficient. I come to you, Lord, today and I drink. I feast at the table of the Lord. I lay me down at the table of the Lord and I feast myself on the abundance of my father's house. I come in need. You come in sufficiency, God. Amen. And then, there's a couple other things I've got to... This next verse that I want to read to you out of verse 39 and 40, this to me is amazing. It says, he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. They sat down in ranks... Before there was food to feed anybody, they still only had one little lunch. They orchestrated the whole thing. You know, the Lord Jesus has been orchestrating the whole thing for a long time. <laughs> He's been orchestrating the days and the times of your life for a long time, since you ever existed. He's got you covered. He's marked out the times and the seasons. He knows exactly what you're going to face before you're going to face it. He's taking care of every detail, every blade of grass, every drop of rain, every provision, every talent. Sometimes you look at it, it looks like a, a mess. But I promise you, we'll be looking back one day at his great mosaic and say, our God has done all things well. All things well. Listen to the way Spurgeon said it. This is so awesome. He said, we see a piece of the puzzle. But when the whole shall be put together and we shall see the end from the beginning, I warrant you, we shall see that Christ's great feast of mercy with its myriads of guests has been conducted on a principle of order as mathematically accurate as that which guides the spheres in their courses. The universe is held together by the word of his power. And this event of feeding the multitudes is a plan that God has had from the beginning of time to display his glory. God has laid down the book and the book of his everlasting purposes written by him of old. Everything that shall occur in the great economy of his grace. And from that he never swerves. His purposes ripen at the proper time and his plans are carried out according to the wisest method. Providence, which so often looks wild and blustering, is not not so by any means. It's working in harmony with grace for the salvation of as many as Christ has bought with his most precious blood and for the accomplishment of the grand intentions of electing love. The raising up of this minister and of that and the building of this house of prayer and that and even the bringing of certain number of people at one time to listen and the bringing of such and such a person's rather than others and the moving of the preacher's heart to speak in this wise and not in that and to dwell upon this subject and not upon the other all these things are so ordered that when the story of the Lord's great grace banquet shall be told we shall say to ourselves it could not have been any better he has done all things well Oh yeah, there's, there's a day, my friends. There's a day when we'll be looking down the great banqueting table of the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll be looking down that table rejoicing with joy unspeakable and we'll be shouting with the top of our lungs, yes, our God has done all things well in my life for His glory. For His glory, my satisfaction. He has got you covered He's got you covered. He's got every part of your life covered. He's got you, my friends. He cares about you more than you can ever imagine. He's watching over you to perform his word for his glory, for his purposes and plans. Yeah, we're going to have to finish finish this up. If I could, okay, let's... um, Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, so then the last scripture that I want to read to you is in John six verse fifty one, and this is about the real gospel feast, the one that's the spiritual one that we that that the natural man cannot see, that the natural eyes cannot see. See that day as they ate, it says in Mark six forty two that they all ate and they all were they were all satisfied, but they were eating. And feasting on on bread that they had no idea. They had no idea who was the one actually giving this bread. They were totally clueless. It says in, in John 6, 51, Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Yeah, they were saying, well, Moses did this for 40 years. Why don't you do it again? Do it again, Lord. This is the next day. Do it again, Lord. Do a miracle again. Feed us again. Feed us again. He says, no, you don't understand. It wasn't Moses that gave you that bread from heaven. It was my father and actually, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. I am the meal. I am the meal that's provided for you. He goes on to say, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. I'm going to read this one last quote as we get ready for prayer this morning. This is what Again Charles Spurgeon said about this about this miracle he said come and take o anxious one and the more fully you can take him the more jesus will be pleased why flows the river but to make glad your fields why sparkle, sparkles the fountain but to quench your thirst why shines the sun but for your eyes to be blessed with the light as you breathe the air around you because you feel it it must have been made for you to breathe So receive the full, free salvation of Jesus Christ, because it is provided, and you are in need of it. No mandate of heaven exists to shut you out, but every sacred doctrine is an argument why you should come and welcome and take Jesus freely. The crowds all ate, and none were so obstinate as to decline the gratis provender. Did they receive the bread which perishes? I charge you, then accept gladly the bread which endures. To eternal life. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at victoryfellowship.net for service times and locations.